In the time of Magellan, the Spanish and the Portuguese were rivals, with the two Iberian seagoing empires slicing up the world into two like a hawk of Iberian ham. Then, 60 years later, they were best pals. Not that they had much of a choice. A Spanish king sat on the Portuguese throne, and the two states and all their overseas possessions were united under one ruler. If Manila was the crown jewel of Spain's ocean-spanning empire, Macau was the apple of Portugal's Pacific eye. The Dutch, who were eager to add to their own overseas domains, wanted both of those cities. But before the Netherlands tried to conquer Manila, they first set their sights on Macau. In 1622, a Dutch fleet sailed from the colony of Batavia, which we now call Jakarta, to take over Macau. They had around 12 to 16 ships and 800 soldiers, including a clutch of Japanese mercenaries. They were repulsed by the defenders, with hundreds of Dutch soldiers killed, as well as a baker's dozen of the Japanese mercs. Despite the win, the Dutch attack was so alarming that Manila sent a detachment of Spanish troops to reinforce their allies. Little did anyone know that this would set off a diplomatic crisis that would attract the attention of another empire looking to invade Manila. That empire was Japan. Welcome to the Colonial Department, the podcast where we take long-lost stories from Philippine colonial history and bring them to life. In this episode, we break down a Japanese plot to invade the Philippines, 300 years before it actually happened. This is Season 4, Episode 1, Spies for the Shogun. The Spanish reinforcements stayed in Macau for two years before they were recalled back to the Philippines. But before they went home, they took a little side trip first. As you do, I mean, you go to Macau and before you go back home to Manila, you'd maybe go shopping in Hong Kong or have a stopover in Taiwan or go sightseeing in Singapore. Except these guys, well, for their side trip, these guys decided to turn pirate. As in, they started attacking merchant ships they went down to the Gulf of Siam, more than a thousand kilometers away, and began looting freight vessels loaded with rice or pepper. From some ships, they also looted some cloth, which the Spaniards sorely needed after their adventures at sea had left them shirtless. So attacking Thai ships, bad. But then these guys really crossed the line when they boarded a Japanese ship. They stole the drugs and the merchandise inside the hold, but what set off alarm bells in the Spanish government was that the pirates seized the red seal aboard. Red seals or shoe-in were sealed letters that granted the bearer of the document the license to trade with foreign countries. A red seal document also represented the personal protection and authority of the shogun, the military dictator of Japan. Attack a red seal ship and it was like you attacked the shogun himself. When they got wind of what happened, the Spanish authorities nervously began composing their deepest, most profound apologies to the Japanese. They sent it straight away to Nagasaki, but scene zone. The Japanese officials didn't even bother to reply to them.
Ever since the Spanish had moved into Manila, the threat of Japanese invasion hung over the Philippine archipelago like a wet, dripping fish. Let's rewind to 1591, or around 30 years before the Battle of Macau. Ruling Japan was Toyotomi Hideyoshi, an ambitious man who rose from humble beginnings to unite the warring states into one formidable nation. Now that he'd unified Japan, he now turned his blade to overseas conquests. Toyotomi Hideyoshi imperiously sent a letter to the Governor General of the Philippines. Behold the threat and bombast of his words. If an ambassador is not sent, I shall unfurl my banner and set an army against that country to conquer it with a multitude of men, so that that country will repent at not having sent me an ambassador. A Spanish spy would later report all the details about the shogun's army. The Japanese, said the spy, were building three ships and planning maybe seven more. The ships would carry anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 men to attack the Philippines. They would cross the Ryukyu Islands and then through Taiwan, or as it was known then, Formosa. Coincidentally, that would be the same route that the Japanese invasion fleet would take in 1941 when they invaded the Philippines during World War II. The invasion of the Philippines was conducted on schedule. The first landing was made on December 8th. And during the two weeks following, beachheads were successfully secured at six points in the archipelago. The Nipponese assault troops had been well prepared for this kind of campaign. The Spanish made defensive preparations and kept tabs on every Japanese ship coming into Manila. Ultimately, however, Hideyoshi's threats never materialized into anything concrete. The shogun got sidetracked with a botched invasion of Korea, and the Philippines slipped away from his attention. Some 30 years later, the attack of the Spanish pirates on the Red Seal ship got the Edo court talking about the Philippines again. By this time, Toyotomi Hideyoshi was long dead. A new family was in charge, the Tokugawas, who would end up ruling as shoguns for the next 200 years. Among the Japanese nobles in court was Matsukura Shigemasa, who ruled over the town of Shimabara. This guy was a real piece of work. In his hometown, he squeezed these citizens out of every penny in tax just so he could build a brand new castle that would be much bigger than the two he already owned. He also gleefully ordered the torture of Christians. The town of Shimabara was known for its onsen or hot springs, so Lord Matsukura would take Christians there and boil them alive. Anyway, this sadistic tyrant would approach the shogun with an ambitious pitch. Let's hear what he has to say. All of the people who come from Spain to Japan first land in Luzon. So, I will go with my own army to conquer that country and install my representative there. If we destroy the base for the Western people, our country will be safe for many years thereafter. If you allow me to proceed, I plan to sail to Luzon to conquer them. In return, I request a license to land holdings of 100,000 koku. Hi, sorry to interrupt. This is Leo, creator of the Colonial Department. If you're liking the episode so far, I'd really appreciate it if you click the subscribe or follow button for this podcast on the platform of your choice. Leave us a rating and review too. 
all of that will really go a long way in helping support this pod. And now, let's get back to some more Philippine history. The shogun must have given serious thought to the idea because by 1630, Matsukura sent two Japanese spies into Manila. Accompanied by 20 Ashigaru, or foot soldiers, the two spies sailed into the city, pretending to be merchants. But in reality, they were there to survey the Spanish defenses. From the start of their undercover mission, the two spies were less James Bond and more Johnny English. Even before they had arrived in Manila, 10 of their escorts had already died during the sea crossing. Their blunders didn't end there. When they stepped foot into the city, none of the Spanish believed for a moment that they were merchants. But the Spaniards were good sports and they played along. They welcomed the two spies, <coughs> sorry, merchants, with a proper red carpet treatment, giving them presents and holding banquets in their honor. One wonders what they told the spies. Yes, of course, we'd love to have trade with Japan. Yeah, we're sorry about the whole pirate Red Seal attack thing. Sorry for bringing in Christianity too. The Spanish also subtly broadcasted another message to these sham merchants. Wherever the two spies walked, the Spanish would make sure to put all their soldiers in plain sight. In fact, they lined up all their troops across the seashore all the way to the governor's residence. A show of force or not-so-subtle intimidation? It was likely both. Whatever the Spanish intention, the Japanese sailed back to their homeland suitably amazed. No doubt the report said that all of Manila was clearly on war footing. But then again, so was Matsukura Shigemasa. In the year that his spies were abroad, he was getting his own invasion forces ready. He assembled 3,000 bows and arquebuses for his army. Historian Stephen Turnbull also estimated that 1,500 spearmen and 750 samurai were also drafted by the daimyo. However, Turnbull notes that there was no mention of any naval support for the invasion force or if the Japanese were aware that the Spanish already had a base in the invaders' possible Taiwan pit stop. Turnbull also pointed out that there was no mention of artillery in any of the battle plans, a curious omission considering that Intramuros was protected by very formidable walls. But once again, the Philippines was saved from invasion by good old fate. In 1630, while relaxing inside the hot springs of the picturesque seaside town of Obama, Matsukura Shigemasa, the tyrant of Shimabara and the mastermind of the Manila invasion plan, suddenly died. He was 57 years old. No one knows for sure how he died, but assassination has long been suspected. The daimyo was not a popular man. One final Manila invasion plan was assembled, this time during the reign of Matsukura Shigemasa's son. And in this final plan, all the imperial threads of yarn we'd been talking about in this episode came together. The younger Shigemasa was just as brutal as his dad, but perhaps not as covetous of Manila. Instead, the plan to invade the city was hatched by two minor samurai lords who wanted to rope in the Dutch East India Company. 
The Dutchmen would provide ships, the Japanese would provide the 10,000 men, and they would merrily march into Manila and make good on the threats they'd been making since the time of Toyotomi Hideyoshi. While the Dutch weren't 100% on board with the idea of invading Manila, just a decade after they'd attacked Macau, they nevertheless pledged six ships to ferry the invaders. The shogun finally gave his green light for the attack, but once again, fate intervened. The oppressive rule of Matsukura Shigemasa and his son had sparked open rebellion in Shimabara. The shogun's soldiers were quickly shuttled off to the west side of Japan to put down the uprising. Even the Dutch ships were repurposed as rebel fighters. The Manila invasion plan was once again shelved. This time, the plans stayed shelved and were never brought up again. Well, not for the next 300 years anyway. Perhaps in an alternate universe, samurai turned the streets of Manila red with blood and kick-started the Japanese colonization of the Philippines 300 years early. As it is, fortune favored Spain as more pressing conflicts kept sidelining Japan's ambitions to conquer the colony. Lady Luck was truly on the Spanish alliance side, and the conquistadors would not have to face off against the samurai. But the very fact that the Japanese would revisit these plans time and time again just goes to show that the Philippines, and Manila in particular, was truly prime real estate in the eyes of the imperial powers. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Colonial Department. References used in this episode are written on the show notes, but I'd also like to express my thanks to my main sources. Stephen Turnbull's Wars and Rumors of Wars, Japanese Plans to Invade the Philippines, provided much of the info for this ep, though Kaspar Kai Chinyan's retrospective on the Battle of Macau helped shape the intro. A Christian History and the website Sengoku Jidai also gave more perspective on Matsukura Shigemasa. Quotes from sources were read by Anya Ong. The Colonial Department was written and produced by Leo Mangubat. Follow us on Instagram at The Colonial Department.